All right, good morning, church. So I've got a lot to cover today, so you're gonna have to just bear with me as we take off running here. But um, I wanna start by saying three things. One, we had our worship night on Friday night. It was incredible. If you weren't here, you missed out. Don't miss out the next time. Second thing is we just had a mercantile, which was on the parking lot. We had uh, Megan Shannon. A lot of volunteers made that thing happen, but it's incredible to have people coming in from the community onto our campus. So thank you to all who served there. And then the third thing is, is I wanna announce that I have... Um, now played uh, chicken foot twice, and I have won both times. <laughs> Dominoes, and so I just wanted to make sure, uh, Mark, you guys are still, you're good, right? Yep, yep, I beat them in chicken foot. I'd hate to brag, but I'm just telling you, that's what happened. I'm the Domino's king of the world. This is the way it works. Hey, so um, I don't have a single conversation right now. Uh, if you go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis 44, so we're gonna be today. I don't have a single conversation. In fact, when I sit down at dinner, when I sit down at lunch, when I sit, hang out with somebody, the very first thing that comes up is, is this the end of the world? Is this the end times? What do you think about what's happening in Israel? And so people are sort of picking my mind and I'm, and I'm engaging in these conversations, but I wanted to take us as a church body, just before I get going in the scriptures, I just wanna have a, gen a gentle conversation with us. And the conversation I wanna have with you really sums up like this, that there is no peace and there is no opportunity for peace apart from Christ. And, and what I would tell you is I would go backwards and look, we, we studied this. We've studied all, everything that's happening, we've studied. In Genesis 16, we talked about Ishmael. Hagar, Abraham's, the son, it's Ishmael and Isaac. Sorry, I got confused there. From Ishmael, we have the Arabs come. From Isaac, the Jews come. And the promise in Genesis 16 is that Ishmael will be against his brother all the days of his life. That's a promise from the scriptures. And so that's gonna exist all the way through history. And we've seen that, we've seen it. But what I don't want is I don't want a, a body of believers, a church family who's going to social media and getting, hitting the clickbait items that are going to send your little soul into topsy-turly. I, I feel like there's something missing in our belief system, and I wanna make sure that we are all on one page, all right? And so for us to understand what's taking place, I really wanna just leverage history from 1948 forward. And then, and then I'm gonna take us backwards because every, thing, every time I get on social media, every question I get, everybody has something that they've heard someone else say. And there's all of these warnings and this fear mongering to think that this is the end of the world. It might be, but as believers, we are not called to sit around and fear and wonder, is this the end? We are called to walk in faith. We are called to actually propel the gospel to the ends of the earth until our final breath. And so what I want to hit you is, um, this is just small. So in 1948, um, Israel, the UN, established Israel as a nation, as a state. Now that's May 14th, 1948. Now, the Arab world was hostile towards this. They did not want this. In fact, on May 14th, it was declared a nation. On May 15th, uh, several Arab nations actually attacked Israel. Israel withstood the test of time, and they continued to move forward. And people say, well, why would they do that? Why did that happen? Because as soon as the UN established Israel as a nation, the Arab world actually came up with three no's, three no's. They said, no, we will not recognize them as a state. 
no, we will not negotiate, and there will be no peace. Those are the three no's. In fact, uh, um, I won't ask if there's any Joe Biden fans in here, but Joe Biden gets a lot of bad um, press. I mean, he, he just gets a lot of bad press. He recently had a section where I was watching a news station and they were making fun of him because they always make fun of him because that's what they do. Um, easy target, but that's what they do. And he said, he stands up to the podium and he's like, to anyone who's thinking about getting involved, he said, don't, don't, don't. Anybody see that? Yeah, the three don'ts. And they were mocking him and making fun of him, but I actually researched it and I thought it was incredibly insightful. Obviously he doesn't write his speeches, and it's probably a good thing, but his speech writers actually wrote this and they wrote it with incredible, it's incredibly clever. As someone who gives lots of talks, it was very clever because that don't, don't, don't was a response to the three no's. No negotiation, no recognition, and no peace. That's why he said don't three times. Now what I would want us to understand is in this collide, of this no peace, no, no recognition, no negotiation. 1968 rolls around and um, Egypt and Syria and Iran, they also attack Israel again. There's another attack on Israel. And then this relatively just skirmishes take place. In 2005, most of you know that Israel completely withdrew from Palestine, from, the, from that region. And the reason that they did this is because when they were established, they were supposed to be established, there was options, a two-state nation, a one-state nation, and the Arab world did not want to negotiate. There's no negotiation, so none whatsoever. And so 2005, everything, they pull out, and there is... 100% freedom for Palestinians to enter into Israel. There is zero possibility for Israel to enter into the Palestinian property, the land that they are occupying. And so there's been massive issues over the years. Well, on October 7th, 3,500 missiles are shot over the wall from the Palestinian, from Hamas into Israel. And now, Everybody's freaking out. They're marching on the college campuses with Italian flags, which I think is hilarious. Italian flags talking about free Palestine, free Palestine, free Palestine. 3,500 missiles. I just want to take a moment, though, because the whole idea here is there is no peace because that was the proclamation that the Arab world made. Second thing I would want you to understand is just because there are skirmishes, just because Israel has declared war, that does not point us to the Bible saying it is the end times. In fact, just the opposite, just the opposite. I will tell you, we were closer to signs and prophecy of the end times before the war actually started. Because what most people don't understand is why those 3,500 missiles actually went over the wall because the media doesn't like to share any of this. Those 3,500 missiles went over the wall because at the end of September, heading into the 1st of October, Israel and Saudi Arabia, was a, they were about to sign a peace treaty. You can Google it. You can look it up yourself. And the idea of Israel having peace with any Arab nation set Iran aside. They were fighting this like crazy. And so thus, I believe with all of my heart that everything pointed to the fact that there was not going to be a peace treaty signed. And so we're going to fire missiles in order the peace treaty can't be signed. Now, understanding that, I would take one step back and say that in Ezekiel chapter 28, the prophecy that is given there in verse 20, the prophecy that's actually given there is that Israel, before the end comes, the end time prophecies, Israel will be at peace. And so as long as we're at war, 
the end time prophecies can't even begin to fall into place. And so don't take the clickbait. I understand that it is very, very interesting to us. We all wanna know what the end looks like, our end looks like. I would tell you, if you really wanna know end, begin to study eschatology from a biblical worldview. Take a biblical perspective of what the end looks like and study that all you want. But take your scriptures, find pastors, don't use your social media for Bible study. Is this fair? Because when I sit down and have conversations with people and I hear them talking about the things that people are talking about, I got it last, last week, two weeks ago actually, two weeks ago, I'm in the back and I had somebody come, come bum rush me asking why we don't support Palestine? Why don't we support Israel? All angry at me and I said, well, hold on, hold on. Tell me what, you, tell me what you're really angry about. I said, well, Palestine is a peaceful country. I'm like, it's not even a country. What do you, it's so, but it's the media sells this and then we begin to buy into it. Your social media sells it and you begin to buy into it. So I want us as believers to understand that the biblical side of this is very clear. And I'm gonna use Genesis 44 to take us to how clear it really is. Let me pray. I'm gonna specifically pray over what's happening. I'm gonna pray over us and then we're gonna get into Genesis 44. God, I thank you and I praise you for your word. I pray God that inside this room, there are many who are biblically ignorant, who do not understand the scriptures, who do not study the scriptures. And what I pray over their heart in this very moment is that you would tug on them and you would allow them to understand and be compelled to see your truth and to dig into your word to understand who you are, your character, your nature, your desire for us. Lord, I pray that you would protect this body from the fear of the things of this world, that you would, you would guide us and guard us from our own minds, from our own thoughts. And you would remind us consistently, as the word does, over and over and over again, that we are not to live in fear. As the scriptures remind us over and over and over again that you are fully in control. And God, I thank you that you are gracious enough, powerful enough, God, that you gave up some of your control when you offered us free will. But Lord, in our free will, we have made an absolute mess of this creation that you've given to us. And so Lord, what I pray over my church family today is that you would guard our minds, you would guard our hearts, and you would let us see your son for everything that he truly is. Use the scriptures today to do that. In Jesus' name, everybody in the place said, amen, amen, and amen. Genesis chapter 44 is where I'm gonna pick up. And in Genesis chapter 44, it picks up with the story where Joseph had been sold into slavery. We're in the story of Joseph, been sold into slavery. Uh, famine had hit his land. So his dad and his 11 brothers were struck with, with famine. They had to find food. So, uh, so Jacob sent his sons to Egypt, which is, happens to be where Joseph had been sold and been taken to, to find food. And so they go to Egypt and they get to Egypt and there's abundance of food because Joseph had had a dream that preserved all of this food through Pharaoh. Pharaoh gave Joseph, this slave that had been sold into slavery, into Egypt, gave him the keys to the kingdom. He's the second most powerful person on planet earth, Joseph. Well, his brothers have no idea that he's there. They don't recognize him when they come to Egypt, but they come stand face to face with their brother. He's wearing eye makeup and he's all shaved up and stuff. And so they don't recognize him. He sends them home and he says, I need you to bring your little brother back. 
because one brother was missing. It was Benjamin. This was, Jacob had two sons from Rachel that he loved. He had Joseph, which they had sold, and then they had Benjamin, which he was trying to protect. We're going to deal with that today. They said, all right. So they come back a second time, and now they're back a second time, and Joseph decides during the second trip that he's going to mess with them a little bit. And this is where we pick up. It says this in Genesis 44, verses one, verse 1. It says, Then he commanded the steward of the house. That's Joseph. So Joseph commanded the steward of the house. That means one of the people who worked for him. He commanded this. Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of the sack. So he's like, again, he's not going to take any money for this food. He, these are his brothers. He's, giving, he's showing a sign of benevolence here, being very generous. Verse 2. And put my cup the silver cup in the mouth of the sack of the youngest. So they have now brought Benjamin to Egypt, which that's the youngest brother. And Joseph tells his servant, I want you to put, a, put my cup in his sack. And so steward of the house says, absolutely, I'll do that. He says in verse three, as soon as the morning was light, the men, they were sent on their way with their donkeys. So they're heading back to Canaan from Egypt. And they had gone only a short distance in verse four from the city. And now Joseph said to his steward, up, get up, go, follow after the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil with good? Why have you paid, repaid evil with good? This is a good question asked. In fact, this is something I would ask us as believers today. God has been so good and so gracious to us. He's been so good and he's been so gracious to you. Why would you offer evil back to him? Why would we offer disobedience back to him? If he's been so good to us, why wouldn't we offer goodness back to him? I tell you, I, I, I shared this during our night of worship, but Rob, our, our worship pastor, is going to be teaching uh, part of our equip class, and he's getting ready for it. He's going through these, these words, and he's, he's taking the Old Testament, the words for worship, and he's, he's breaking them down, and it was so compelling. I mean, it literally hit me so hard. It impacted my life. But he's talking through this. He's like, look, think about it like this. You take the Hebrew word, for serving, and we are commanded to serve. And so if we're not serving God, then we're actually being disobedient. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. He goes, well, hold on, hold on. Giving, if you take giving, if it's a command, which we are commanded to give of our resources, if we do not do this, then we're actually being disobedient. I said, absolutely, I agree. He goes, well, then listen to this. We are commanded to worship. And so when we are not worshiping him, we are actually being disobedient. Think about it for just a moment, because those of you who come in, and I know it's hectic, and I know it's crazy with kids and coffee and everything else, you come in and you stand for five to 10, 15 minutes, tap your toe and just nod your head, you are actually being disobedient. You're like, I'm at church, I'm being obedient. No, we're commanded to worship. That means throw yourself in the fire of worship. Encounter God in a fresh way every time you come in. Because this question, why do you repay evil with good or good for evil? The, any way that you want to take this and begin to flip it, why do we not offer God our very best? I'm going to skip a few verses here. Let me tell you what happens. They bring the brothers back to Egypt and they line them up. Joseph lines them up from oldest to youngest. And he says, guys, somebody stole something from me. I'm going to find out who. They're like, no, we did no such thing. We did no such thing. And he's like, open your sacks. And so the oldest, which by the way, this should have been a pretty big clue that he knew them. 
when he lines them up again in perfect order for a second time, but he lines them up, the oldest, nothing in there, nothing in there, nothing in there. They get to the ninth, the 10th brother. And so at this point, they're feeling at peace. Like, see, no worries. We would never take something from you. You're being gracious. You're giving us grain. You're giving us our money back. You've been so gracious. Why would we do anything evil to you? And they open Benjamin's sack. When they open Benjamin's sack, there's Joseph's silver cup, which had been planted by his servant in that bag. They're freaking out at this point. They're like, whoa. And they're not freaking out because their little brother took something. They're freaking out because they made a promise to their dad, Jacob, we have to take Benjamin in order to, to get food. They, the, the guy in charge has to see him but we will protect him. We will take care of him. Nothing will happen to him. And now all of a sudden, ah, Benjamin's in trouble, big trouble. Verse 14, I'm gonna pick up there. Judah and his brothers, they came to Joseph's house and he was still there and they fell before him on the ground, literally repentant, falling on the ground before him. Now this is the second time that they have been knelt down before him. Joseph had two dreams, seeing his brothers knelt down before him. And so this is being fulfilled. But as they fall down, this is incredible to me because I think that sometimes our posture of repentance is, Lord, I'm super sorry. And then we go about our day. We go about our day. I think there's times that you and I, we've got to get down on our face before God in full repentance. Get down as low as you possibly can and confess your sins, not to me, not to your friends, but to the Father. Confess, because at this posture, they are fully surrendered to Joseph saying, we have no idea, we are so sorry. And Joseph said to them, he's like, what deed is this that you have done? Do you know that I'm a man, a man like me? Indeed, practice divination. Now this divination actually would be whispers, magic spells, or has magic power. Ultimately, the way that this word, really the breakdown of this means, don't you know that I'm a man who is in power? Now, I understand that there are, either going to say, yes, we understand this. There's another piece to this that I will get to in a few chapters. But in verse 16, Judah said, he speaks up now. Judah's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? Like, like God has found out that we are guilty as our servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants. So they're standing, they're knelt down before Joseph saying, what can we do to fix this? Tell, just tell me what to do to fix it. You ever been in that position? Just tell me what to do to fix this. I have no idea how to fix it. I just want this to be fixed. I have stories, but I don't have time to get there. Behold, we are now my Lord's servants. It's like, we are your servants. You are in charge of, of us, both we and he also whose hand the cup was found in. So look, it's not just Benjamin that's at fault here. We're all gonna take responsibility for this. Keep going here, verse 17. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. I'm not gonna make all of you, I'm not gonna hold all of you accountable for one man's sin. Only the man whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. Now this is a problem. So only the man whose the cup was found. Benjamin had the cup, so only Benjamin is going to be my slave. This isn't going to work because they promised on their lives to their dad that they would bring Benjamin home. So this is a real problem. This is a big problem. But as for you, look at this, look what he says. Go in peace to your father. They can't go in peace to their father. 
If they go back to their father without Benjamin, the scriptures were clear. We looked at it last week. They will, they're offering their life up for this. There is no peace and there's no way that they can go in peace. There is absolutely zero possibility of them going in peace. I will tell you, they have a better chance of going in peace than Israel and the Arab world today has in living in peace. Let me add one more thing. <laughs> so 2% of Israel um, is recognized as followers of Jesus or Christians. Less than 2% of Palestinians are recognized as Christians. Can I tell you that without Jesus, there is zero possibility of peace? That's for your life personally or nations. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is the only peace that we can ever find. I'm gonna define that here in a moment, but I want you to have this process in your mind because go in peace with your Father, it's impossible for them to go in peace. They can't do it. And I can relate to this because in my own home right now, I have no peace in my house right now. I got in trouble by my wife for eating almonds. She bought almonds. I thought, man, these are delicious. I'm eating the almonds that I thought were delicious. And she came to me and she's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm eating almonds because guess what? They're delicious. And she's like, you, you can't, why, why would you, you can't eat all our almonds. I'm like, well, what do you mean? She goes, you, I, I got those for us to eat. You can together all you want, missus. All right. All I'm saying is I don't have it. So I'm like a, is she, my wife isn't in here, right? I'm like a squirrel. I'm like a squirrel. Like I have to go downstairs. I'm hiding in our, in our pantry, <laughs> eating almonds. And she's spying on me. She's like, what you doing? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> There's no peace. Verse 18, then Judah went up and he said to, went up to him and said, so Judah's speaking again. And Judah's saying to Joseph, he's like, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word into your ear and, and don't let your anger burn against me. For I know that you are like Pharaoh himself. Like, I know you're powerful. I understand this. And so I just want to speak to you for just a moment here. In verse 19, my Lord is asking his servants, saying, have you a father or a brother? This, in other words, Joseph asked, remember, Joseph asked him, do you have a father? Do you have a brother? Last week. And he said to, he said to my Lord, and I, so I responded, we have a father an old man and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead and he alone is left of his mother's children and his father loves him. There's Judah saying to Joseph, look, his mom is gone. His brother's gone. This is all his dad has is Benjamin. I, I can't let him be wrecked. I can't let his heart be wrecked like this. Then he said to your servant, bring him down. Even though this is it, he said, bring him down so that I may lay eyes on him. And so let me read a bunch of verses here. We said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. For if he should leave his father, his father would die. <laughs> then you said to your servants, you said, unless the youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. And so we went back to my, your servant, my father, and we told him the words that you said. And my, our father said, go again and buy us a little food. And so we said, we can't go down with it. We don't have our little brother with us. I messed that part up, but go with me. For we cannot see the man's face unless the youngest brother is with us. And then your servant, my father said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me and I said, 
Surely he has been torn into pieces, and I have never seen him since. This is the first time that Joseph has heard about how he died. <laughs> Honestly, think about it. Joseph's standing there with his Snoop Dogg chain, dressed like Aladdin, eye makeup on, and he's like, and, and, and your dad thinks you've been, he's like, you've been, you died, you got torn to pieces. He's like, oh, that's terrible. And, and you guys sold that? I'm gonna jump into verse 29. If you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in the evil shell. So I will die if you take him from me. This is what he's saying. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father. So this is Judah saying, as soon as I get there and the boy is not with us, Benjamin is not with us, then his life is bound up in this boy's life. He's like, this, he is so attached to Benjamin, you don't understand. You don't understand. And ultimately what he's saying is he is linked. I've referenced this two weeks ago. Last week, Brandon referenced this. There was so much tied up in this because Jacob loved Rachel so much and his two sons, Joseph, which he thought had been torn to pieces, and now Benjamin. It's obvious in this, and you hear it, that he had never gotten over the loss of his first son. And as Judah is explaining this, I wanna remind you that Judah is about to explain something, but Judah has also lost two sons. In Genesis 38, we studied this. Two of Judah's sons died. And so now as Judah's speaking to him, he's like, my dad has never gotten over this. And, and it, there's different stages of grief. There's different ways that people explain it. But the way that I always talk through grief is it's denial, it's isolation, it's anger, it's depression, and then there's acceptance. Well, what Judah's actually saying is my dad has never gotten over the loss of his son, which is understandable. It's not natural order. Parents aren't supposed to lose kids. Get it. But he's never gotten over this. And not getting over this, he had no peace. There was no way he could have peace because he had never gotten over the thing that had caused him a lack of peace. And so he has no peace. And, and Judah is selling this. Keep going in verse 31. As soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die because he has no peace. And your servants will bring down, bring down the gray hairs of your servants, our fathers, with, this, with the sorrow to show. So all the way to death, he will be sorrowful. For your servant became a pledge of safety to the boy and my father saying, if I do not bring him back, then you, to you, then I will bear the blame before my father all my life. Judah is saying, I will take full responsibility. If he doesn't come back, I will bear the blame. See that? It's on me. I take full responsibility. And Judah's telling Joseph, I took full responsibility for Benjamin. Watch this in verse 33, because this is a massive Massive theological stuff taking place right here. Now, therefore, please, this is Judas speaking to his brother, which he does not know is his brother yet. Let your servant, let me, Judah, remain instead of the boy, Benjamin, as your servant to my Lord. He's saying, let me take the place of Benjamin. Let me bear the brunt of the punishment. I will be the substitution for his punishment. This is such a biblical term and biblical idea. If you go to 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 5.21, this is what's called substitutionary atonement. This, my friends, what Judah is trying to do for Benjamin is what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. 
He took our punishment for our sin. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that we, in him, that we might become the righteousness of God. So my sin, your sin, was placed on the shoulders of Jesus, a substitutionary atonement. He took our punishment. He took your shame. He took everything that you ever have or ever will do in your life to sin against God, and he put it on his shoulders. He went to Calvary's cross, and he died on that cross. Every bit of the blood spilled out on the foot of the cross. That should have been my blood. He's placed in a borrowed tomb. That should have been my tomb. It should have been your tomb. But when he raised to life, he now offers that life to us. When we didn't bear the brunt of the cross, we didn't bear the brunt of the grave. Judah saying, I will take full punishment. I was trying to teach this concept to my kids when they were young and uh, they both once got in trouble for the same thing. And I don't remember what it was, um, but it was, they both were in trouble enough that we were giving them paddles. They were getting paddles. And, and yes, I paddled my kids because I didn't want them to be monsters. And so, and the Bible teaches us this, by the way. Um, and so it was time to paddle them. So my daughter, she's crying. And I, I was like, it really wasn't that bad, but my wife thought it was terrible. So I was trying to, I had to paddle them because she thought it was terrible. Be supportive husband. That's what I was being, as a supportive husband. And so I'm sitting there and I'm talking to him and my daughter, she starts crying. Anybody who has kids, you know this, it's like, ah, it hurts us worse than it does them to punish them. But that's what they used to say. It's not true, but that's what they used to say. <laughs> um, and so, but it was, it was excruciating to see those big tears rolling down her face. And I said, well, I tell you what, I will take your punishment. And I said, this is what Jesus did for us. So I'm saying this to my daughter. Jesus took all of my sin, all of my shame. He took the punishment. So I will take your punishment. You did the wrong. You deserve the punishment, but you're not gonna get the punishment. I'm gonna take it for you because that's exactly what Jesus did. And she's like, yeah. And so I said, I handed, I handed her the paddle and I turned around and I said, go ahead. And so she did. So she, you know, gave me, it was real light. Um, I acted like it hurt real bad. And so then it came time, then my son. And so he turns around. I was like, all right, um, son. So the thing is, is some choose to believe in Jesus and they, Jesus takes the punishment of those who believe in him. But those who do not believe in Jesus, they will share and they will take all of their own punishment. They will be eternally punished because they fail to receive Jesus. And he's like, but I, I, I asked Jesus into my heart. <laughs> I said, I understand that. I understand that, but, but this time, Jesus can't take your punishment. He said, but I love Jesus. <laughs> Judas saying, I'll take full responsibility. Full responsibility. Let me keep going here. One more, one more piece to this. And let the boy go back with his brothers. Let go, I'm sorry, go all the way down to, go back to 4433 for me. And let the boy go back with his brothers. Let me tell you what's back with his brothers. What's back with his brothers means he's going to stand face to face with his dad. Now, I want to share something about this story that I think oftentimes is overlooked. It's a biblical concept, a big biblical word that oftentimes is used. Sometimes we sing about it and people don't know the root of it. So let me give you the root of this. So there's this point in scripture where 
Right before Jacob is about to die, he actually sits before his kids and he gives them a word. Genesis 49, 8 and 10, it says this. Genesis 49, so Jacob speaking to Judah. He says, Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be, your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies and your father's son shall bow before you. So it's like, Judah, you're gonna be the chief clan. You're gonna be the, the chief of all the tribes. Judah, verse nine, is a lion's cub from the prey, my son. You have gone up, you've, he stooped down, he crouches a lion and lioness, who dares to rouse him? And then it says in verse 10, but the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be obedience of all the people. Let me break this down for you. He's saying the scepter of Judah, saying, Judah, you will be the chief tribe meaning from the tribe of Judah, not from Joseph, not from Benjamin's tribe, but from the tribe of Judah is going to come a ruler. And this ruler, make sure you get this, this ruler, okay, there it says it's gonna come and tribute. What that actually means is when the proper ruler comes, what this is known as, as the Messiah. So when the Messiah comes, when the one that will rule over comes, he will come from the line of Judah. One more line there, come from the line of Judah. So until the tribute comes, well, the tribute that was to come, the Messiah that came, his name is Jesus. So Judah is referenced as the tribe that is going to bring forth the Messiah, but he's also referenced here as being the lioness or the lion, the one that crouches down. So in Revelation chapter five, when we get down to, again, the end times, in Revelation chapter five, there is only going to be one person who can actually put judgment on humanity. And that one person is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The one who walked in Nazareth, the one who went to the cross, the one who went into the borrowed tomb, the one who resurrected and rose three days later. He is the only one that can actually allow judgment to fall on humanity. And it says in Revelation chapter five, listen to this very carefully. Apparently uh, there's, there's a thing there. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Let me just pause there. The lion of Judah. Have you ever heard this before? The lion of Judah, have you ever heard this, this idea before? Well, this is referenced because he's coming from the tribe of Judah, which was known as the lion himself. And he's saying he is the lion of Judah. He is the king of all of, the, of, all of Judas, all the tribe. It's the king of kings. He's like, he is the root of David. King David from the line of Judah is also going to come the kings. So David is part of this line. He's like, so from David also goes down and teaches us this in Matthew very clearly. From the line of David, it takes us all the way down to Jesus. And so from the line of Judah, we get Jesus. And he's not just any Jesus, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And it says that when he is ready to break the seals, when he is ready to crack the seal open, that's when judgment will fall on all who have sinned against God, which is all of us, but refused to kneel before him and confess their sin and give their life to him. And so when this seal is cracked open, there will be no peace for those who are apart from Christ. But those who are in Christ, according to the scriptures, there will be no condemnation. And so what we see in this story in Genesis 44 is a very clear picture, of a beautiful picture, of Judah 
saying, I am going to take all the punishment on myself. Well, the tribe of Judah would take all the punishment of the world upon himself. And his name was Jesus. And so when I read this chapter, all that it leaves me with is a question of saying, God, I know that I've sinned against you. And this is why I've confessed my sin to you. And this is why I surrender my life to you. And so I want us in this room to understand the implications of this verse, this chapter, this moment in scripture, because it is a promise and it is a foreshadowing that your sin, your wrongdoing, the silver cup that you have in the sack of the bag, the mouth of your sack, that you should be punished for. God's saying, I'm sending one who's gonna take your punishment. Will you faith that? Will you believe that? And that's where I leave us today. I'll pick back up next week because it gets even better. But God, I praise you today in this room that we are men and women who have the ability to surrender our lives to you. I praise you, God, that inside this room today, there is not one of us, not one of us, who confess your son Christ as our savior that will bear the punishment of our sin. That's astonishing to me. It's amazing to me. And I thank you that you gave an example in scripture here of what you were planning to do for us from the very beginning. But now God, what I pray in this room is that the men and women and even the children in this room today that have never confessed your son Jesus as their savior, that today, would they recognize that they have sinned against you and the only way that that sin will not be dropped on their own head is through your son Jesus. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I'm gonna take just a couple more seconds of your life here. If you have never accepted Christ as your savior, if you've never had that point in your life where you said, I know that I've sinned against God and it's time for me to repent. If you've never had that moment, I'm giving, to, giving it to you right now. This is the moment in your life where your sin is passed from you onto the very shoulders of Jesus. He willingly took it. He gladly took it for you, hoping that one day you would faith him, hoping that one day your eternity would be changed because you would say, yes, I will let you take my punishment for me. Who in this room needs to allow Jesus to take their punishment today? If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer. God, today I seek your forgiveness. I plead for your forgiveness. I praise you that in my life, I've had the privilege. Now to hear the story of Judah, to understand the story of Jesus, because it is in this understanding that I proclaim to you today that I ask your son to redeem my life. I accept Christ as my savior. I pledge to you that I will change my life. I surrender everything I am to you. I am going to change from the inside out because today I understand in fullness what you've done for me. Thank you, God, for saving my soul, for paying the price for my sin on this day and this moment on this day. Thank you, Father God. Praise you, Lord, for every man, woman, and child who just prayed this prayer. They are yours. Now guide them, steer them, and lead them all the days of their life. In Jesus' name, everybody in the place said, amen.